We can turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 13. That's where we will be reading from this morning, Isaiah 13 and chapter 14 as well. As we continue on in our series. So if you would, you could stand with me if you're able to read through verses, chapters 13 and 14. The oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. On a bare hill, raise a signal, cry aloud to them. Wave the hand for them to enter the gates of the nobles. I myself have commanded my consecrated ones and have summoned my mighty men to execute my anger, my proudly exalting ones. The sound of a tumult is on the mountains as of a great multitude. The sound of an uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. They come from a distant land, from the ends of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs of agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind more than gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. And like a hunted gazelle or like sheep with none to gather them, each will turn to his own people and each will flee to his own land. Whoever is found will be thrust through and whoever is caught will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed in pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them who have no regard for silver and do not delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb and their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon... The glory of kingdoms and the splendor of the pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there and their houses will be full of howling creatures. There ostriches will dwell and there wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers and jackals in the pleasant palaces. Its time is close at hand. Its days will not be prolonged. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captive those who were their captors and rule over those who oppress them. 
when the Lord brings you, give, has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service which you have been made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has ceased and the insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows, that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you. The cedars of Lebanon saying, Since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. All who were leaders of the earth, it raises from their throne, they raise from their thrones all who were kings of the nations. All of them will answer and say to you, You too have become as weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. How you have fallen from heaven, O Desar, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountains of assembly. In the far reaches of the north, I will ascend above the heights and the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities? Who did not let the prisoners go home? All the kingdoms of the nations lie in glory. Earth in his own tomb, each in his own tomb, but you are cast away from your grave like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit, like a dead body trampled underfoot, you will not be joined with them in burial, because you have destroyed your land, you have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers never more be named. Prepare slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts. I will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendant and posterity, declares the Lord. I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land. And on my mountains trample him underfoot, and his yoke shall depart from them, and his burden from their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over the nations. For, for the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? In the year that King Ahaz died came this oracle. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a, a flying fiery serpent. And the firstborn of the poor will graze, and the needy lie down in safety. But I will kill your root with famine, and your remnant it will slay. Wail, O gate, cry out, O city, melt in fear, O Felicia, all of you, for smoke comes out of the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. What will one answer the messengers of the nation? 
The Lord has founded Zion, and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that your work would do a great work in us this morning. To its intended end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Do not trust what will be destroyed. Rather, lay hold of what God has promised in his refuge. That's what I see the text doing this morning, these two big chapters. Do not trust what will be destroyed. Rather, lay hold of God's promised refuge. It's just uh, two weeks ago, we spent time together going through chapters 11 and 12 of Isaiah, and they were beautiful chapters, weren't they? Times where we got to spend looking at what's coming for the remnant, what's coming for those who have put their trust in Jesus, in the king of that good kingdom. We look forward to this life where we will sing. There was two songs in chapter 12, singing a song of joy and a song of calling the nations to join in as well. It said in verse 4, 5, and 6, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And as we went through those chapters, we, we, we were so thankful that we have been brought into relationship with Jesus Christ, and we look forward to the day when he bursts through the clouds and, and ushers in his good kingdom. And we long, we long for that fullness of that kingdom to come now. But we have to wait. And just as in Isaiah before, the reality that's pictured in chapter 11 and 12, verses 13 and 14 must come. And if we're honest, we have to agree that the allure of the world can be strong and it is continual. And it comes at us wave after wave with its pressures and plans and movements and glamour. And we need to remember that its allure, though it seems powerful, is fleeting. It has no foundation that's worthy of our trust and our acceptance. It does not uh, prompt us, it should not prompt us to run after it with full force and lay hold of it as if it was something worthy to be our foundation. Rather, it's, and that it's similarly a fishing hook. When you throw a fishing lure in the water, that fish looks at it, it looks glamorous, it's shiny, it looks like something that can offer you something but it's a fish hook of death. And that is what we need to see about these nations and about the, the rulers of these nations and the pompous pride that lies beneath. So for Judah in these days, they especially needed to look to the Lord as the pressures of the nations were upon them. So we come to verse chapters 13 and 14, and this starts a new section that will speak to certain nations, Moab, Damascus, Egypt, Cush, Babylon, Assyria, and really all the way through chapter 23. And we need to ask, and it's a fair question, why? Why this extended section on the nations? What is their significance? And that is, again, we need to see how big God is in comparison to the nations. We, the remnant, we, at Judah in this day, needed to see how big their God was. And they needed to see that before that beautiful day, when, when the kingdom was going to be ushered in, Evil, arrogance, and pride of humanity needs to come to an end as well. They come together this day of the Lord. 
So if you're wondering this morning, in this life, is if, if you can carry on, if you can take another step, I think the promises that we'll find in chapter 13 and 14 will encourage you. If you're wondering if you can possibly delight in the downfall of evil, the downfall of the wicked, wicked nations, I think this text will be helpful. If you're wondering if God even cares about the turmoil that wages around us and in this day, this text will be helpful. So through, th- through 13 and 14, the Lord wants us to see five things, five important things. And the first we're going to see in chapters 13, verses 1 through 22, and that is that the God takes sin seriously, and he has set a day to destroy it. God takes sin seriously, and he's set a day to destroy it. So we read in verse 1, it says, the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. So we're kind of caught off already. There's this, this extended talk about the nations, and yet now we see here too, the first nation to be talked about is Babylon. Seems a bit odd when the superpower of the day was Assyria. You think that would be the one that gets the first word, the first prophetic word from the Lord. And yet Babylon is the one. Babylon in this day was, it had, it had, had power, it was an up-and-coming nation, and they actually were a nation that imposed much influence in different ways, like culture and philosophy and idol worship. So their, their influence, though they weren't the world superpower, was vast and it was spreading and it had an effect. And that is exactly why Isaiah begins with Babylon. Babylon is an accurate symbol for a spirit that puts itself in rebellion to God. And that is what they are dispensing in the nations. You can think back even to Genesis, to the Tower of Babel. Do you remember what took place at the Tower of Babel? It was a rising up of the human spirit. We can do great things on our own apart from God. We can rise up, make ourselves equal with him. Self-autonomy and dependence. And that is exactly what Babylon, in its, in its historical sense and its spiritual sense, is dispensing this self-reliant ways, anti-God reliance. And we see that even the, book, the New Testament reveals that to us in places like Revelations 18, where Babylon takes on this, this more than just some city. It's actually something that people are, are taking on and absorbing and drinking and, and consuming and living their morals, their way of life. And it's something that needs to be destroyed. So we see Babylon, and then it goes on in verses 2 through 5. It says, On a bare hill, raise a signal. Cry aloud to them. Wave the hand for them to enter the gates of the nobles. I myself have commanded my consecrated ones and have summoned my mighty men to execute my anger, my proudly exalting ones. The sound of the tumult is on the mountains as of a great multitude. The sound of the uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. They come from a distant land, from the end of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. So even as we start with Babylon, we see that the main character in verses 2 through 5 is God. God is going to do something about this wickedness, this nation, this uprising. And it's interesting, did you catch it said in verse 1, I on a bare hill will raise a signal. Makes me think of chapter 11. Chapter 11 verses... Uh, 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 it says in 10 and 11, in that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and of his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time 
And again, in verse 12, it says, he will raise a signal for the nations. So likewise, that signal of Jesus to beckon people into his kingdom, this, what God is going to do is going to be a signal of wrath. It's going to be a signal that says, don't go there. This day that is coming is going to be one he raises a signal where everyone can see the folly of what is taking place in this nation. So it would be a different signal. So the rain, this rain over the nations is expressed in the phrase, the day of the Lord. That's where the text kind of leads us. Look at verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. Look at verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. So this is the day of judgment. That is where the, the focus is on this day, what the Lord is doing. So while the destruction of a historical city of Babylon will take place in the later centuries, when Cyrus overthrows Babylon, there is a greater day pictured here, a greater day of God's judgment, the day of the Lord, of his wrath and of his fury. That's what's taking center stage. It has a universal scope and purpose. And as to thrust away any doubt that should remain in our hearts to hear, the name of the Lord is used as the Almighty. It says the day, in verse 6, Wail for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come. In previous contexts in the Old Testament, when the Lord uses his name as the Almighty, it is to show that he is all-powerful, able to do all that he's promised, carry out and through all that he has purposed and planned. And it will come. So again, there's a universal scope. Look to me at verse 7. See who's involved. It says, therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. So there's a bit of a universal scope here. We are kind of, he's using Babylon to talk about something greater that will come this day of the Lord. So we get a hint of what his wrath is coming against. That's something we should ask. If this is coming, what's it coming against? Look with me at verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. He's saying this wickedness, this cruelty, at its root is an arrogance. At its root is pride. Something that, that says, I do not need God. It's that human spirit that says, I want to live for myself and my ways. That is what is going to be judged. And this is something that we've moved through in verses, chapters 1 through 12, as God is calling it the same thing in his people, and now he's calling it out in the nations. And on that day, when those who have put their pride in other things, when that day of the Lord comes, they will respond in a certain way. Look at verse 7 and 8. Let's see what the fruit of their foundation or their trust results in. It says, therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another for their faces will be aflame. It, it pictured in this day is, is terror and helplessness and they're aghast. They can hardly believe that they're looking around. Everything I put my trust in has failed me. There's, this, there's something happening here that they can't stop. That's why the woman in labor is used. A sequence that cannot be stopped. And they, everything they have trusted in has become useless. So there's a state of shame. There's nothing in this world that makes us recoil and shudder. Things that have uh, violent things, oppressive things, cruel things. It doesn't find at its root 
pride, arrogance. So that's what this text is revealing. That's what the day of the Lord is going to come against. And it results in wickedness and cruelty. That's what it says in verse 11. The wicked for the iniquity. The pomp of the arrogant. Lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. So those terms, ruthless and wicked. And we could talk about the cruelty in their day, but we know all too well the cruelty and wickedness that takes place in our day. Whether it be the sheer number of babies that are cast aside, whether it be cruel industries like pornography or the sex trafficking industry, that to, to, to satisfy insatiable lust tramples the vulnerable and the sojourner. So we could go on to go on and mention terrible, terrible things. Things that come up out of anger and covetousness and greed and injustice that have an effect on our very society and on our families. So God wants us to see that this will come to an end. There is a day of the Lord. And God is able to bring about his wrath And that day will come when Jesus bursts through the clouds and lays war against all that is evil. And God has set a day to judge the world. That's what he says in Acts, and he's proven this by raising Jesus from the dead. There will be a time when justice is known in all the earth. Do we long for God's justice in all the earth? Do we truly long for it? Do we see it as what is necessary for the perfect kingdom to be ushered in? We can need to grow in this, to long for God's justice. So the city of Babylon stands as a reminder, the historical city, even verses 17 through 22, kind of talk about what will happen to this city. Kind of looking now more at the historical city that God will lay waste. And it's interesting that it will stand as a reminder of the coming great day of the Lord, as, as an interim day of the Lord, so to speak, that God is showing us through Babylon and Assyria that his day of the Lord will come because he's done it to the nations already. And their lands will be left desolate. It's, it's actually, it's almost comical. Hyenas will be there. Jackals will be there. Ostriches will be there. That's all that's going to be there in Babylon, that great city that they found excavated around 1811 through kind of 1899. Some excavators found it. This great big city with all its pomp and arrogance. It didn't take much excavation to just see some random wild animals running across the tops of it. That's what will be there. So we see that God has a disdain for the pomp and arrogance in the world. And as a church and as Christians, we can ask ourselves, do we have that same distaste for pride in our church, in our lives? Do we, do we share that same emotion toward it as God does, that same feeling? I pray that we would, that we would strive to be holy, that we would be that reflection of God on earth now, standing up for goodness and righteousness. So what it sense is a call to action as well for the covenant community. So the second thing God wants us to see is that the day of the Lord will also be a day of relief for his people. And this is in chapter 14, verses one and two. Read them with me. It says, for the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and again will choose Israel and will set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captive those who were their captors and rule over those who oppressed them. Historically, 
They were released in 539. Judah, when they went into exile, Babylon took them, took captive, laid waste Jerusalem, and took the Israelites captive, and they went back, and there was a return. But yet, this is more than that. This is looking at something greater. This is, ta- this is about a day of compassion of the Lord. So the remnant was being pressed by many nations and around them. They, were gonna, they, were gonna, they knew they were going to be taken into exile. But God is revealing him this great re- plans of great reversal for his people. So there's going to be a great change. Where the captor, captives are now going to be the captives. The oppressors will be gone. And there will be a great return to this land. So it's a beautiful, a beautiful reversal. And this, he wants us to see that this is the Lord's compassion. This day is a day of the Lord's compassion. Everything that flows, everything that we read about flows out of that compassionate, loving heart of God. As he does away with evil and brings his people into that good kingdom. And it's beautiful pictured here. You can even read into verse 3, rest, a relief of pain and turmoil. And more than this, we read that this will be a day open to all who look away from themselves, a self-reliant spirit, and take the refuge in King Jesus, the one who will usher in that kingdom. It's open to all who wants to come. So I pray that even hearing about the day of judgment will move you to examine your own heart, what you're living for. See if it will stand up on that day. The scripture says it will not. What are you putting your trust in? I pray that you would examine that and run to King Jesus as you see his strength, as you see the trustworthiness of God's promises. As Babylon lay desolate today, that you would see that his promises and plans are true. And for us in Christ, we should be encouraged and humble, knowing that we bring nothing into this day. It's the compassion of the Lord. We were once rebels. We were once living after our own pleasures and passions, following the spirit of the power of the air, Satan himself. And yet God's compassion makes us fit for that day as we get the righteousness of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, when we don't deserve it. We are made fit for that day, washed and forgiven, united to his son, Jesus. So these verses should be an encouragement if you're hurting this morning, if life's hard, if you're being oppressed, weighed down by turmoil and hard service. This day of relief is coming. It's promised by the Lord himself. So keep trusting his promises. That's a, that is the fuel of our life, is it not, Christians? We, we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrect, resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. God not only is going to keep that day, it's not only coming, he's going to keep you for that day. And he does so through these amazing promises. So the third thing that God wants us to see in chapters 13 and 14 is that we have a song to sing in the face of such evil. And we're going to see that in, verse, in chapter 14, 3 through 21. And here we're given a song that celebrates the fall of an oppressor. And this song is sung expressing the decline of the oppressor. So we can look at uh, the one who sought the high and lofty places. Look at the language of the text. It's his movement from going up to coming down. Look at verse 9. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. 
All who are leaders were leaders of the earth. It, it raises from their thrones all who were the kings of the nations. All will answer and say to you, you too have become as weak as us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. And even in verses 12 through 14, we see this same decline. The one who raised himself up will be brought low. Verse 15 says, you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Some take these verses as as referring to Satan himself, but the text says it refers to the king of Babylon. And the text even says that there are rulers that will be cast down as well. It says in verse 9, all who were leaders of the earth. Uh, Sorry, it says in verse uh, 5, the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepters of the rulers. So we don't even need to think it's Satan exactly. It's the, the arrogance and pride of leaders of this world that say, I'm going to do great things. I'm going to ascend above the heights of heaven to the very place of deities by my great work, by my own strength. Verse 12 through 14, how fallen uh, are you from heaven, O day star of dawn? How are you cut down from the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. That is the pride of the king of Babylon. And it's an express in leader after leader after leader in this world. And there is a plan. There is a downfall coming. And it is oppressive. We caught that in verse 6. This leadership of this king of Babylon says that the, struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. You can just feel the power that's been meted out by this king is one that accepts no appeal for mercy, no life, no relief. Heals, hears no appeal. And this is why the text is a song. You catch in verse 3, it said, When Yahweh has given you rest, from your pain and your turmoil and hard service, which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt. It is a day when the whole earth is at rest and quiet that they sing. We see that in verse, um, uh, verse 7. It says, the whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth in singing. The cypresses rejoice at you. And that is because there's an end in sight for this cruel leader, this, this oppressive ruler of Babylon. The, the author wants us to see that his end, the one that high and lifted up, like the ostriches that'll, that'll be over the city of Babylon, maggots will be his bed. That's what he's going to be. He's going to be a maggot king. So Israel, do not trust in this maggot king. Do not look to this maggot king for any any offer of salvation or help in times of trouble. Look away from him. And that's the message for us as well. And interestingly, if it be a song, it'll be a song singing on that final day. We read that in Revelations 18, when the Lord comes. And just let me read a few verses there for you. Revelations 18 and 19. This is it pitches the war against and the fall of Babylon. It says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons. It says later, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in the luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. 
And yet, if you just flip the page, the next chapter pictures a song where some wail, others sing. It says, after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who has corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. So that is the great song that will be sung on the final day of the Lord. And it's a song given to his people to sing even now. As these nations rage around them, as they lift themselves up, they can look to God and be radiant amidst difficulty. As they know and sing of the final decline of all these worldly kings, especially this king of Babylon. And it's total removal. And I think this is to show the Israelites, do not look for any ounce of security in Babylon. It says in verse 22, I will raise, rise, rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will cut off Babylon, name and remnant and descendant and posterity, declares the Lord. Don't trust it. Don't go after it. Don't chase after it. Find your joy in what I'm bringing so the fourth thing that God wants us to see from this text is the Lord is guiding human history to its proper end. So he moves now to Assyria. And he says that the Lord of hosts has sworn, I planned, in verse 24, so shall it be. And, I, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains trample him underfoot. And his yoke shall depart from them and his burden from their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. Not just Assyria, but the whole earth. He's giving them this grand picture of himself, the Lord of hosts, guiding nations, controlling history, bringing about what he has purposed. He is our God. That's this remnant's God. I and mean, it's all the, the things and the turmoil that were happening around them. He's like, look, I'm going to lay waste Babylon and I'm using them for my purpose. I'm using Assyria for my purpose and I'm bringing about my plans through them. And I'm going to do that through the whole earth. And he, he, he says here, he, finally, he says in verse 27, I have purposed. Who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. Who will hold it back? Again, this is to breed courage in the church in who our God is. And finally, God wants to see, the fifth thing he wants us to see is that there's a decision to be made regarding his refuge. So we get this kind of ending here with, in this year that King Ahaz died. And it talks about Philistia kind of rising up. And he talks about what will happen to Philistia. And he kind of talks about people grazing and having a safety and relief. And then he, he closed it with this question in verse 32. What will one answer the messenger of the nation? So pictured here is another time of, of economic turmoil for, for Judah. Ahaz has died. The, the, the Davidic throne seems to be weakening. And Felicia seems to be chomping at the bit. And they kind of put themselves up there for some kind of help or rescue or maybe even thinking that they can overcome now this weak people. So the picture is them coming to Judah and saying, hey, here we are. We, you want, to, want, want to even our, our help? You want to trust us? And that's why the question is, what will one answer the messenger on that day? And chapter 13 and 14 should lead the people to say, I'm not going to trust you at all. I'm not going to be tempted with your outstretched hand that offers some strength. Rather, it says, the Lord has founded Zion, and in her afflicted his people find refuge. They say, 
The king of God's kingdom is enough for me. God's promises are enough for me. His strength is enough for me. And I will look no other. For the Lord has founded it. So it's a great strength that the Zion's forever kingdom that will come. That's the strength of his people. God's plans, God's purposes. And I pray that this would be our answer as well as we go out from this church back into the world. That we would say, I'm finding my strength in God, in his refuge, in what's coming, in his plans and purposes. And that we would look at everything else as weak and fleeting. And as close, I just want us to just hear about this great day that is coming. And it's pictured well in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And just listen to these words when we think about the day of the Lord coming. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since it is indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire inflicting vengeance on all those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. It's a beautiful day coming. We're going to marvel at that day when all the evil and turmoil is gone and we get to know the pure goodness and joy of our Father and his good kingdom. So that day is coming, Christian. And if you have yet put your faith in Christ, I would ask you again to examine your heart and what you're trusting in and hear God's welcome and come be part of his good kingdom. Amen.